this is Elevation Gains Podcast. I'm Jim, an avid backpacker and hiker from Reno, Nevada. I'm Holly, a coach and weightlifter. I own a strength gym in Oakland, California. And on this podcast, we attempt to break down some of the barriers that keep people from enjoying the backcountry. Here we are at episode five, and we are very excited because we have our very first guest on this episode. And it was so much fun to have a different energy between us and just kind of build on each other and bring a bunch of new fresh energy into it. Yeah. So our guest name today is Jory Schmaltz. She is a long distance hiker and a vegan. She lives in Utah, and we get into some discussions about some of the long distance hiking that she's done. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it was really, it was really fun to do this one because we actually hearkened back to last episode in a really direct way. Um, so if you listen to that last episode, you're, you're going to hear that same exact topic that we go back and forth and back and forth about, but her ways, ways of experiencing it and her ways of dealing with it, which I thought was really cool. That was definitely cool. I enjoyed that part of the episode very much. And we even get to talk about some of uh, some of her more like uncomfortable or less than desirable situations on the trail. I don't want to give too much away (laughs) because I want you to listen to the episode. But uh, it's a fun episode and it's a unique and interesting perspective on long distance hiking. Yeah, exactly. I think you guys are going to really love this. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Elevation Gains podcast. Uh, Tonight, we're pretty excited. We have our first guest. So I'm here as always with co-host Holly. And uh, hi, what have you been up to this week? Um, So I was going to do like an epic turn and burn to Yosemite um, as like, uh, it's about to snow. I know it's about to snow. I'm going to get in right before the snow. Um, And then at the very last minute, we switched gears because it would involve, uh, and someday we'll do an episode about like how to get to the mountains on a regular basis when you have a job that requires you to stay in the Bay Area or something (laughs) like that. Um, But it means that I have to wake up at two to get to sunrise in the valley which is a little rough and I uh, I train on Tuesday nights with a bunch of friends and so at the in the middle of training Brian and I were like let's just let's just not how about we just sleep <laughs> um but we ended up doing this amazing hike in Point Reyes which ended up being like 12 miles um and there were like just these sun-soaked elk on this beautiful beautiful field with like amazing waves like the best conditions I've seen in Point Reyes uh this late in the year in like ever um and it was just an absolutely epic hike so it's a fun uh story of sometimes when a disappointment pivots into something else it turns into something that you wouldn't have ever thought was as, as amazing as it is what have you been up to uh not, I want to touch on so did you say elk <laughs> yeah so you saw point- elk 
Yeah, this is like, this seems to be something that people don't know about. And I feel like it is like the coolest freaking thing. So Tool Elk, uh, T-U-L-E, not like the band, or I guess the <laughs> hammer, <laughs> uh, are only live in Point Reyes. And I actually have a friend who's been trying to save them because the ranchers there have been not doing some great things with the gates and the drought, um, which is really, really bad. But we're going to stay out of that dark place and talk about how cute their like big white butts are. Um, <laughs> they have like, they're all brown, but they have this big fluffy corgi butt. It's just the cutest thing. Um, but the Tamales Point, which goes to one of the most Western points in the uh, um, West Coast, uh, is actually an elk preserve. So you walk through an elk preserve, which is a little bit dangerous, especially in the springtime. But right now they're all shaggy. They've got giant antlers that have like molting and weird skin hanging off of them. And they're just hanging out and being really chill. So it's really fun. But when the sun comes up, sometimes when it's not cloudy, which is rare, um, it makes this golden glow. And when you get like a herd of elk and the golden glow, it just is absolutely fucking magical. Um, so I did do a really cool drone video of it, but I'm still in editing, as you know, takes some time. Right. Wow. That is okay. So two things I'm adding Point Reyes to my bucket list of hikes. That's a definite thing I have to see in person. And uh, the second, how you said it was at 12 miles. Is that just like an out and back or is it a loop or how does that? Yeah. So it's actually a 10 mile uh, out and back. You go to the point and then you go back. Um, but we like meandered a whole bunch and like ran up and down things like we do. Um, so we made it a little bit longer, at least according to my tracker. Um, the other thing I want to point out is we went out there to see whales because there's a big kelp bed at the end of the point and uh, the migrating whales stop there with their babies and they like play in the kelp. So it's one of the few I know. Uh, it's one of the few places that you can just sit on a cliff and just watch baby uh, whales play in kelp. Um, so we make the trek like once a month during uh, migration season to try to find them. We found them once. That <sighs> is that is so cool. I definitely need to go see that. Um, my week was not that exciting. Uh, <laughs> not not even close. <laughs> that was just one hike. The rest of my what rest of my week was quite boring. Yeah, so I have, as you know, from the last episode, I, I have a new backpack and I'm working on a review for it. Um, so really all I did was I went and did, it's the Jones Creek, White's Creek Loop, which is part of the Mount Rose Wilderness. It's like 30 minutes away from my front door. So I just went out and did that and filmed a bunch of B-roll of the backpack. We didn't even stay overnight. It's just, uh, it's like a 10 mile loop. Um, we saw a little bit of snow. Uh we had to navigate. This was actually kind of cool. We had to navigate easily one of the gnarliest tree falls I have ever seen. And my buddy Brian got it all on film, but two pines and an aspen fell uh, across the trail. And when the aspen came loose, the roots of it took like half of the trail with it. So we're like trying to navigate through and we get into the middle of like this clump of trees. And then there's just air. Like we're just looking down the, the, the edge of this, like uh, almost like cliff face. It was one of the cooler and like more sketchy, like trail obstacles I've ever had to navigate. But you got it all on video. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We have the whole thing on video, so I'll be posting that pretty soon too. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was cool. I mean, it's 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 weird to say 
like when you run into like a super dangerous situation like that it's weird to say that that's cool but it's kind of cool like you don't really see <laughs> that kind of like natural devastation just randomly yeah i i guess this is like another maybe we'll talk about it later at some point but i was recently reading an article in outside magazine that was talking about how when you regularly do outdoor adventures you are much closer to the concept of death and that <laughs> you think about it differently and so sketchy becomes like a different thing and you're simultaneously less careful and way 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 more careful than a lot of other folks and i just thought that was an interesting perspective because like here you are looking at a cliff and you've been in many situations i'm sure that could have really really hurt you but eh, sketchy gets a different different definition it gets rebranded as fun yeah and i have i guess i have a different threshold for sketchy after the the tower peak incident you know because like i i mean i literally almost pitched off a 200 foot cliff on the snow so navigating to a tree falls kind of kind of chill compared to that but you didn't die i didn't yet so <laughs> um okay so we have a guest yes that is very exciting uh we are very pleased to welcome jory schmaltz who goes on ig on instagram by the outdoor vegan she has done a bunch of really cool through hikes and let's just jump right into it and Welcome, Jory. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, we're stoked to have you. Um, when we were bouncing around ideas for who we wanted to invite to be guests, you had just finished the Wonderland Trail. And I was like, that should be guest number one, because that's a bucket list hike for me. And that is someone I definitely want to talk to. So give us um, give us a brief introduction of yourself and feel free to name drop some of the trails you've hiked and and some of the cooler stuff that you've done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hi, yeah, I'm Jory. I am 34 years old. I have lived in Utah now for about 10 years. I originally grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, uh, moved here uh, initially for a relationship, fell in love with the mountains because hello, why wouldn't you? And just stayed and decided to call it home. And um, moving here was the catalyst that sort of catapulted me into hiking in general. Um, and then from day hiking, obviously I found camping and then, you know, backpacking and then through hiking. Um, so I've gotten to do some really cool stuff in my life. Honestly, I feel very grateful. Um, the first backpacking trip I ever went on ever was Coyote Gulch down in Southern Utah, which was just a lot of red rock amazingness and then from that I was like yeah okay I think I'm ready to do something bigger and so I did Kings Peak which is the tallest point in Utah and that was kind of my prep trip for the John Muir Trail so I did the John Muir Trail and then while I was on the John Muir Trail I was like um hello through hiking is amazing I definitely cannot be done with this yet and so while I was on the John Muir Trail I decided to do the Appalachian Trail which I did the following year um and then as soon as I got off the AT um, it was that next year that COVID hit, which kind of put a crimp in my, um, hiking schedule, <laughs> but I was able to do the Uinta Highline Trail in the meantime, and also the Wonderland Trail. And then I have a permit for a start date of May 3rd to do the PCT. So for next year, for next year. So very exciting. So first question I have, what 
what prompted you to do the Appalachian Trail instead of doing the PCT? Um, good question. Yeah. So I had researched um, all three of the major through hikes of so the AT, the PCT, and the CDT. And the AT to me sounded like the safest of all of those options. A, because there is more town access and there's closer town access. So you're less remote. You're like less in the actual wilderness and you're more connected as far as cell service and town access. And there's a lot more people in one area. And so to me, I was like, well, if I've never done a through hike and I've only been backpacking twice in my life before this, like I, I'm gonna do something where at least I feel um, like my current skill set prepares me for this in a way where I'm not gonna die. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I had chosen that one just uh, for those reasons. I was like, this seems like the logical first choice for someone who's just kind of easing them, themselves into this, um, this lifestyle. I just love that you went from two backpacking trips to I have to through hike the Appalachian. <laughs> Like, that is incredible. Is that not a logical course of action? <laughs> no, I just think that that's a really, really cool move. <laughs> I feel like I live my life on this spectrum where it's either like everything or nothing. I have a very hard time living in this middle part. <laughs> no, I think it's fantastic. I'm just waiting for uh, Jim to jump on the Wonderland Trail and be like, tell me all about it. <laughs> yeah no that's definitely been like a bucket list hike for me for a while uh about four years ago a friend of mine and I had actually planned on doing it and then right right when it was like time to like start really preparing for everything and like get the permits and all that because there's some weird um logistical things about the wonderland trail that you don't have to deal with on other trails like you have to camp in certain areas and you have to distribute your resupplies uh, like in a very specific way and so right as we were like at that phase where we were like collecting the the five gallon buckets and doing all the stuff that you have to do uh we both got like grown-up jobs mm. and didn't have didn't have any more you know we had to work our way towards enough paid time off to be able to do something that long and then it just kind of ended up backburnered for a while um i want to i want to circle back to something that you had said specific to utah because i was just there i just i just went in through salt lake and did a hike down in southern utah and pulling in to salt lake to meet my friend that i was hiking with and just just being kind of smacked in the face by like the Wasatch range and, and all that. I mean, I don't see, like, I was seriously the whole day I had to wait two or three hours to meet up with the guy I was hiking with. And like the whole day I'm like texting back and forth with my wife. I'm like, you know, I could live here, I think maybe. And you, know, you pull into town, you see that this massive mountain range. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I totally understand what you mean about, you know, just being drawn to it. And, um, so you said you moved there for a relationship and then just decided to stay. I mean, where was it those views and, and just the proximity to all that cool stuff that kind of enticed you to, to call Utah home? Uh, yes and no. So I grew up in the Midwest um, where, you know, the coolest thing I saw was either cornfield or the Sears Tower. And so mountains didn't even exist in my world. Like I had never even seen them before. And so having then 
move to Utah and calling that my home. Like I initially moved to Ogden, but the accessibility in Ogden is still um, amazing as far as, you know, getting to the mountains from town. Um, it was just this whole world that was very new, but very enticing. And so getting into hiking was just this way for me to sort of disconnect from all of you know, the busyness and the stresses of, of traditional life. And it just became this, this almost this form of meditation for me where I just got to go and be with myself and my own thoughts. And, you know, I would just like listen to the sounds of nature and sort of just disconnect. And it not only, you know, was physically rewarding, but at the same time, very much mentally and emotionally rewarding. And so it was just so addicting in that way that I was like, I cannot say no to this. I cannot, I have to do more of this. Let's talk JMT for a bit. I have section hiked certain parts of it. I went over, do you know where the Lamarck Coal is? Uh, no. Okay. So the Lamarck Coal drops down straight into, uh, right up above Evolution Valley. Okay. And then you take a use trail down and you're just right in Evolution Valley. So I've, I've section hiked that part of it, which doing the research, because the JMT is another one that I'm probably going to do uh, eventually, just do a through hike of. Um, I had this wild idea that I can do it in like 14 to 16 days, which is probably doable, but, but a little psychotic, um, <laughs> but so I've been told that evolution Valley is the most remote part of the trail. What were some of the challenges that you faced with like resupplies? Um, so I know you're vegan as, as are both Holly and I, what were some of the, some of the challenges you faced with resupplies and stuff along the JMT and in particular, the more remote areas? Yeah. So I um, decided to only resupply twice on the JMT. I resupplied at Red's Meadow, which most people do. And then I also resupplied at Muir Trail Ranch. Some people opt to resupply, um, like they go over Cursage Pass and then they resupply in town there. Um, I opted to not do that because I didn't want to add an extra pass and extra time and extra miles to my hike. And so I was honestly, because the John Muir Trail, you have to send your buckets ahead of time. So you get to choose exactly what you want to eat you don't have to hitchhike into town and then just kind of eat whatever's at you know some sort of like small town grocery store so resupplying on the John Muir Trail was actually probably the easiest as far as vegan options go because I got to decide that ahead of time and I got to shop you know at my own grocery stores with all of my own you know you know specific vegan options that I like um, it was just a matter of buying them putting them in a bucket and then shipping them out um, the tough part was the, the time between resupplies was <laughs> lengthy, um, uh, making the, the pack very heavy, but, um, otherwise, yeah. How many days between resupply were you, were you looking at? I mean, how, how long did it take you to do the whole trail? Uh, so it took me three weeks, 21 days, an average of 10 miles a day. Um, because that was my very first, um, like long distance backpacking trip, everything I had done before that was only like weekend stuff. Um, and so, um, I was still getting used to like, you know, building up my trail legs and like the gear I had brought, like I, my pack weighed an embarrassing amount. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it took me 21 days. Um, so you were carrying like 10 days worth of food at a time. Oh Yeah. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Um, so, well, so it was 10 days, 11, 10 or 11 from Muir Trail Ranch to the end. That was definitely the hardest, but I did. Um, so it would have been 11 days then split into two. So it was like five ish days for those two first resupply stints. And then that last one was 10 days. And that was, I, ha- I remember having to like rash because you have to have a bear canister on the John Muir trail. It's like non-negotiable. It's required for everyone. And so you have to fit 10 days of food in this bear canister, which is not easy. And so I remember having to literally like ration food, like, okay, I get, you know, one cliff bar a day and I get one packet of ramen a day or whatever it is, you know, and I was eating like an insane low amount of calories, which I don't recommend to anyone, but it's like, you do what you got to do to make it, um, you know, with this amount of space for, you know, a certain amount of days so yeah it was it was rough (laughs) oh man okay so since we're on logistics and I don't want to ask too much of a personal question but through hiking takes a lot of time as you just pointed out how have you been able to take these big stints and then come back to your regular life as much as you're willing to share it's hard um it's it's yeah it's very difficult because I feel like there's this this transformation that happens very differently uniquely but very just intimately with everyone that goes on a through hike because you remove all of these you know like traditional priorities as far as you know going to work and you know maintaining these friendships and going to the gym or you know having like these utility payments or responsibilities and all of that disappears when, when you go on a through hike and, and your priorities literally become, okay, where am I sleeping? Where am I getting water? And, and what am I eating? And, and it's just, it's very, very transformative. And you learn a lot about yourself and your capabilities and your preferences. And so trying to transition from this very minimal, humble, organic way of life back into the fast paced and loud (laughs) and demanding real world is yeah it's definitely a challenge like um they're um i'm gonna try and remember the correct term here but it's like post-trail depression where people actually experience post-trail depression because it's such a transition back into the real world. And there's all of these things now that you're being asked of. And that is just so demanding that it's just so different from, from trail life. So it's, it's, um, it's not easy. I remember taking two weeks off after finishing the Appalachian trail for me to just like exist in town <laughs> before I actually like decided to get another, you know, nine to five job and work full time again, because yeah, it's not, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it's absolute culture shock to go from a single-minded existence with the quietness of nature and your thoughts to cities and cars and responsibilities and coffee meetups and all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. And even little things that you wouldn't think about. Like I remember you get desensitized to perfumes from like shampoos and detergents and stuff. And so you come back into town and you think everyone smells really good because you're smelling all of these like floral (laughs) perfumes and stuff. And you're like, no, this is normal for everybody. Uh, You're just desensitized to it on trail. And so you have to readjust to like, you know, having that be part of your normal life. And even like 
I remember noises too. Like everything was so loud. I was like, oh, why are cars so loud? Why is music so loud? You know, why are people walking so fast or cars driving so fast? Like it was, yeah, you just have to reintegrate all of those things like back into your normal life. So on, on either of those two trips, um, did you have, is there any day that sticks out like, like as like a really bad day, like bad weather or just not, not feeling like walking or is, is there anything that jumps out at you right away where you're just like, yeah, that day, that day kind of sucked. There's one that comes to mind immediately on the Appalachian Trail where there was like hurricane level winds coming through and just this really bad storm. But the, the A2 is really nice because they have these um, structures called lean-tos or shelters, which are just three-sided log cabins pretty much where um, they're just right along the trail and then hikers are allowed to stay there. And so we, me and like four other women that I didn't know, they were just other hikers, um, were like taking shelter in um one of these structures one of these shelters and i had to stay there for two days to let the storm pass like we all did before we could move on because it was just um you know too much too much of a risk and it was early on in the trail and so we hadn't really gotten our our confidence or our trail legs yet um and i just remember thinking like oh my god i'm stuck in this shelter like i can't go anywhere i was having issues with my feet like my feet um didn't they didn't know that we were going to go on a through hike apparently and so <laughs> uh, the, like the first like 50 to 100 miles they were like what the fuck is happening like what are you doing to us <laughs> they were not happy and so I remember um just having to like like massage my feet a lot and roll out my feet a lot and like resting and all this and I was like am I even gonna finish like I've got all these foot problems and I'm stuck in the shelter with all these other people that I don't know and I miss my family and I miss my friends and I miss my restaurants at home and I miss heated buildings and plumbing <laughs> <laughs> and you start thinking about all these things that you don't have <laughs> and it was just like I remember we were um, we were laying down and I was just like so depressed at the moment and so I put my my beanie over my face and I just cried silently <laughs> underneath my beanie in my sleeping bag because I was just like so uh, just not happy to be there at that moment and then of course the weather cleared and we hiked on and and everything was fine but yes it was definitely uh, <laughs> a crossroad for me emotionally where I was like do do I want to do this how much do I want this <laughs> but you finished I finished. <laughs> so <laughs> 2,200 miles later. Wow. How long did that one take you? Six months and 13 days. That's amazing. That's a long time on trail. I know. And I, yeah, I'm not by any means a fast hiker. Uh, I'm just a very determined one. <laughs> so I don't, I don't set any FKTs or anything, but I, I'm, I'm going to make it to the end. No questions asked. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same way when I'm on the trail. I'm not super fast. I'm a I'm a bigger guy and the uphills especially just crush my soul. Same. Yeah, but uh my my normal hiking buddy Brian has nicknamed me the tractor because uh we'll uh, we'll be cruising along and he's just like, "Hey man, do you want to like take a break?" And I was just like, "Oh yeah. Yeah, we haven't done that in a while." Or like I'll be like, we'll be on a longer trip, like an overnight trip and I'll be like, I'll say like out loud, I'm like, Hey man, I'm, I'm pretty done. Let's like find a place to camp. 
and then go like four or five more miles and he's just looking at me like a crazy <laughs> so he's as close to a trail name as I have is is the tractor nice no you can take that as a trail name that's yours that's awesome <laughs> I really like that as a trail name for you I feel like <laughs> I feel like that works. Well, you, I mean, you and I have hiked together. So you've kind of experienced that where I remember on the, uh, on the Loch Levin trip where we went with like Shara and Dee and everybody came along. We had like two or three dogs with us. Um, we were like cranking up this hill and you're like, Hey, Hey, we all need a break. And I was just like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. We can do that. <laughs> Wait, I didn't say that. Did I say that? You did. Yeah. I think that was other people. I'm like, I t- trend towards driving people crazy because I never take breaks because once uh, I start, I just want to keep going and get to where I'm going. And like, I hate stopping. So I'll eat and walk. I will do everything and walk. I don't want to ever stop. And I also don't like the concept of having to like take my pack off and then put it back on. And it's all sweaty and it hurts in the places that it hurts. I just would <laughs> rather have it hurt. Let's go. Yeah, it might have been maybe it was Shara that that made us stop, but I I distinctly remember we were cruising up the hill and somebody was just like, "Hey, we we should take a break now." Like and it had never even occurred to me that stopping was like a thing that normal people do. <laughs> uh, you're speaking my language though. I'm very much an A to B hiker. I was like, okay, here's A, let's get to B. Well, let's go. I just, you know, let's walk. I don't want to lose my momentum. Like if I stop, then my muscles are going to start to relax. No, let's just go and get there. <laughs> um, I had bought um, a hiking skirt specifically so I didn't have to take my pack off to pee. I could literally <laughs> just squat and pee and then keep walking because you can't stop. You got miles to make. Yeah, I'm very much the same way. I like to hike when I'm solo hiking. It's it's a, you know, it's it's a, such a different animal when you're hiking with people versus when you're hiking by yourself. Mm-hmm. But like I just recently did a 77 mile section of the PCT. Nice. And I want to do it in 3 days. So only 2 nights of camping. Dang. So you mentioned you were stuck in a shelter with four other women, I think you said. Mm-hmm. Um Do you feel like that would have been a different experience if it wasn't all women? And in general, have you, do you feel like your experience on the trail is different because you are female? Um, yeah, two. Yeah. Um, so a may, I do think it would have been different had it not been all women. I've never really gravitated towards friendships with women my entire life. I don't know why I just am very not that way. (laughs) Like, uh, I just, um, I relate to that. I don't know. I just feel like I have I operate emotionally a little differently sometimes. And so um, there was just a lot of estrogen in, in the room, you know, <laughs> it's just, um, yeah, it's interesting that you asked sex. I don't know. I haven't thought about that. And would it be different if it were men? I mean, probably. Um, I don't know. But my experience hiking as a woman is worlds different than I can what I imagined hiking as a man solo would be like people treat me so differently (laughs) um like especially when I first got into like um like day hiking in southern Utah by myself I would go on like uh, weekend trips and just do like day hiking and then car camping and people would be like oh are you out here alone oh my god you're so brave like I could never do it and I'm like would you would you say that to me if I were not female because I don't I don't think you would (laughs) 
Uh, I was just going to say, like, uh, so do you feel braver when they say that? No. <laughs> I, it's literally like a, like a, I don't understand it. And I'm like, because they specifically reference that, you know, that, oh, you're, you're a woman out here alone. And I'm like, yep. What's, uh, I'm sorry, are you going to get to like a point here? <laughs> like, I don't understand. I just, I don't understand it. You know, like what? gives me any less of the capability to exist alone in the wilderness than a man like it just doesn't make sense to me but holly and i actually just recorded an entire episode on um, like gatekeeping on the trail and the different Mm. the different levels that that gatekeeping can take and the different ways that that kind of presents itself and it's funny that you because i mean we literally talked about exactly that phenomenon where it's like I'm a bigger guy. I'm six foot tall. I'm about 230 pounds. No one has ever once asked me, nor will they ever ask me if I'm out by myself. It's just, it's just assumed that, oh, well, obviously he's this big, huge guy with a beard. He's of course out here just mountain manning it up. And I have met so many women on the trail who are infinitely more capable than me. And they all, Every single one has that same story. It's wild. It really is. But, you know, hiking is not the only place that that sort of stereotype exists. So true. Unfortunately, true. Unfortunately, true. Yes. So let's dive into Wonderland. I am very interested in talking about this trail. Um, You and I had talked about it a little bit through Instagram direct messaging because I had had some questions for you because... So my friend Chrissy and a group of like three or four women hiked it like the month before you went and they had these crazy like waist deep water crossings and like, like really scary looking shit. And when I talked to you, you're like, no, none of that. We had literally no, none of that happened. (laughs) No, no, nothing sketchy about the Wonderland Trail at all. I think it's I've, I've been researching it quite a bit and I think that there and you actually mentioned this to me that there's a there's a time frame in which they actually come out and they put bridges in for certain water crossings yes. and so I think Chrissy and her crew were there just before that they must have been. so they were going through there's a video that they shared on their Instagram page um, and it's this woman she's maybe like five 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 six and she's like, like chest deep water, holding onto this cable. And I'm just like, you know, maybe I don't want to hike the Wonderland Trail. And then like two <laughs> weeks later, you posted your videos. And I'm like, you're just walking across bridges. Like, what the hell's going on here? Are these like different Wonderland trails? <laughs> uh, talk a bit, not just about your experience, but like what drew you to that trail? And then maybe some of the the weird like red tape logistic things that don't exist on other long distance trails. Totally. Yeah. So I, um, ever since I hiked the John Muir trail and fell in love with long distance backpacking, I was like, I want to do at least one long trail a year, you know? And so it was the John Muir trail and then the Appalachian trail and then the Highland trail. And then the year after I was like, well, I'm still not in a place where I can do the PCT or any other sort of like longer through hike yet. Um, Cause I, you know, was working at the time or, you know, still working. And so I couldn't take that much time off of work. And so I was like, well, what is a shorter trail that I can do that is still a through hike where I can still get that, um, that long distance resupply. I am living out in the woods experience 
um, but I don't have to like quit my job to do. And I landed on the Wonderland Trail because it's only 93 miles. Um, and it's only like a 12 hour drive from Salt Lake City. So semi accessible, you know, comparatively to other trail options. Um, and so I just landed on that out of pure convenience, honestly. Um, and it looked beautiful too. I had not spent almost any time in, in the Pacific Northwest, very little amount of time in the Pacific Northwest. And so it was an area that's obviously been on my bucket list for a long time. I wanted to get up there. And so it was just, it seemed like the natural choice, but yes, it is difficult to plan for the Wonderland Trail because not only, so first, when you decide you want to hike it, um, you have to win a lottery to even obtain access to get the opportunity to sign up for campsites. And so it's not just like one hoop, it's like many hoops and they're all on fire. Um, and so once, once you win this lottery, all that gets you is access to sign up for campsites, which means you need to plan out how many miles you're gonna do a day, where you're gonna resupply. And you need to decide that months before you hike. So you just need to either know yourself really well or <laughs> take some guesses and hope for the best. Um, so once you, once you win the lottery and you obtain the access, then the site goes live and then everybody just gets access like pretty much all at the same time. So everyone then is scrambling. And so the way it works is you're not signing up necessarily specifically um, for sites along the Wonderland Trail. Like it's anyone who wants to hike, obtain, gets access to these same permit opportunities, these same campsite opportunities. So you're not signing up for a permit, you're signing up for each individual campsite that other people, Wonderland Trail hikers and non-Wonderland non -Wonderland Trail hikers alike are also gearing for. Oh, and wow. so it, just, it fills up really quickly. And um, like they even say before you uh, go to sign up for these campsites, like have a first, second and third option because you're probably not gonna get what you want because there's so many people. Anyway, so then you get into this, um, this like schedule program that they have where you choose like, you know, all your different campsites and, and whatnot. And I remember like having my three plans laid out, like, okay, these are my options, like, you know, first, second, third choice. I threw all of them out the window <laughs> once, <laughs> once I actually got in there. Cause I was like, I will literally take any campsite anywhere. I just want to hike this trail. I don't care. <laughs> and so I had initially wanted to do it in seven days and six nights, but there weren't enough campsites available for my timing. And so I had to do it in six days and five nights, mm -hmm. um, which was <laughs> a little, uh, faster pace than I wanted, but it was the only availability. Um, so yeah, it was, um, quite intricate. And then you do have to show up beforehand. You can either mail them or you can show up early and then like physically drop off your resupplies at whatever you decide your resupply locations you want to be are, but yeah, a lot, lot of crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. <laughs> so, so what did that look like mileage wise for you with, uh, basically doing it in six days. So it was an average of 15 and a half miles a day, but you know, one day was 17, one was 12, the next was 14. So it kind of, you know, was in that range, but an average of 15 and a half a day. That's big. I mean, that's, those are big days. The grading though is very nice. <laughs> um, it's not like on the East coast where you're going straight up and then straight down something with no view at the top. Like it, it you, you go very gradually up and very gradually down things. And it's, it's very manageable, I thought. And did the trails feel as 
crowded as it sounds like it would have? No, um, to me, it wasn't crowded at all. Like there was one night uh, with one of the campsites I signed up for where I was certain I was going to be the only one there because I didn't see anyone else around and it was like dark um, and people ended up showing up later. But like, no, it was not crowded for me at all. I did go, go I did go kind of later in the season. Um, so temps were pretty cold um, at that point. But um, no, it didn't feel crowded, at least if there were a lot of people, it didn't feel crowded. I did although go counterclockwise as opposed to the traditional way, which is clockwise. And I did that specifically because I didn't want to deal with lots of people and crowds and fighting for campsites or whatever. Um, so it, no, my experience, no, it didn't feel crowded. So that, that trail, for those that don't know, it basically goes around the base of Mount Rainier. Um, so what, what are you looking at in terms of like what's the highest point in elevation? What were some of the the what were some of like the physical challenges to to complete the Wonderland Trail? Yeah, so it's actually not um, what I would consider that high of elevation. I think the highest point of elevation is only like seven thousand feet or something, um, and the lowest is maybe eh, two and change, somewhere between two and three maybe. Um, and so it's not it's not like you're in, you know, the high Sierra or anything. Like you're not dealing with such high elevation that you're struggling to breathe. Um, but, but it, I mean, you know, you do have some, some, some big climbs and some big descents. Um, but the elevation specifically, I didn't feel like was any sort of hurdle that was, you know, I needed to, to manage. So it sounds almost like, I mean, just hearing you talk about it, it sounds to me like just getting on the trail and, and getting your campsites lined out is the most difficult part. Yeah. From an experienced through hiker, that is the, the most difficult part. I feel like, cause I read, um, like a lot of blogs and a lot of other people's experiences, um, before I went on the trail. And from what I gathered for the most part, the people who hike this trail are not seasoned hikers. They are people that have heard about this trail. It's a bucket list item and they want to do it. And so from what they describe, and it definitely depends on the time of year, absolutely. And the weather and the river crossings and the bridges and all that stuff. But, um, but you know, they're talking about like barely being able to do 10 miles a day and a certain elevation. And from what I gathered, it's like, okay, these are maybe not people who have done like multiple through hikes. <laughs> and so I think taking into a little perspective, your personal experience level, and then honestly, just from a very like specific data perspective, like just looking at the numbers, like, okay, how many miles am I going to do based on how much elevation gain and loss that I have? And like, what am I capable of doing? Strictly looking at the numbers and then go from there. I don't, I don't feel like I have any good questions because I don't know the trail well and I've never done it. So I'm just over here geeking out, listening to the story. Um, so I want to dive in a little bit um, with these four long trails that you've done. How many were solo? How many were with, did you start with hiking partners? Did you, did you meet trail family along the way? Like what was, what was that aspect of, of all four of these trails like for you? Yeah. So the first one I did was the John Muir trail. And that one, I actually started, um, with my best friend from high school, Whitney Pelcher, who's amazing. Um, she had never gone backpacking before, but she was a track runner in high school. And so she was still very athletic. 
Um, and so I invited her because I just, when I had signed up for the permit for the John Muir trial, I just signed up for two spaces. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll find someone to go with me. I hope I do. I've never done this. I'm terrified. Please someone go with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I asked her and she agreed, but, um, a few days into it, she slowly started to realize that maybe long distance backpacking wasn't for her. And she ended up getting off trail, I think on day five. Oh, um, wow. And so the rest of the trail I finished solo, but on all of my hikes, John Muir Trail included, I've never actually been alone because there are other people on trail. You do meet people. It's very easy to connect with them because you already have, you know, this big thing in common. Oh, you love sleeping outside? Weird, me too. Um, <laughs> and so it's very easy to become part of what we call a tramily, a trail family. Um, and so I very quickly, um, formed uh, we had very quickly formed a trail family on the john muir trail and honestly and um, that's similar to the other trails i've done like on the appalachian trail as well like it was like i had started alone i decided i wanted to do it alone so it was my experience that i wanted to do for myself and i was um i was going to do that but there's so many people and you establish all of these friendships with people who are just like in such close vicinity so you do end up you know um, forming these these tramlies and so that happened to me on the Appalachian Trail as well and the tramly that I joined maybe about 500 miles in I stayed with for the remainder of the trail oh, wow. uh, until the very end which was a really cool experience yeah um, are you are you still in contact with any of those folks just on like Instagram and stuff you know we have each other's social media um, accounts and, and whatnot and so it's kind of fun to follow along their hikes that they're doing and seeing what they're up to. Um, but on the Highline Trail, it was my partner and I. Um, so we had just started dating maybe like two or three months prior. And I was like, so I want to do this trail. Do you want to come with me? And he was like, I don't know. I've never done anything this long. I'm like, oh, it'll be fun. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> how, how long is the Highline Trail? Um, so if you do the true length of the Highline Trail, it's like 100 miles. But the first 20 miles, everyone says it's just like a 20 mile approach trail. There's nothing really that noteworthy. So we started at like the 80 mile mark. So it was 80 miles for us. Okay. And how was that for him? And how was that for you guys? I know that doing things with your partner that can be strenuous and sometimes hungry and sometimes uncomfortable can get a little dicey. Oh, totally. Um, so I, he um, has outdoor experience. He's a climber. He's been a climbing guide for like 10 years. And so it's not like he was any sort of stranger to the outdoor, uh, the outdoors and the outdoor community. Um, but as far as long distance stuff, yeah, it was his, his first go at it. But um, yeah, he loved it. Um, and we it worked really well together, honestly. Like it was a very um, pleasant experience, like looking back on it, like we we did, we worked really well as a team. So, I mean, we're still together. So we did something right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any advice to other people who want to go out on long distance with their partner? Oh boy. <laughs> um, I, I guess the first question is ask, ask both people separately and personally, like, is this a goal that you want to accomplish? Like, regardless of what your partner wants, like, do you want to do this? Is this something, you know, is this a priority of yours? Because if the answer is no from either person, then please don't, don't, don't do it just to please them or appease them because it, it will end in disaster. <laughs> That's real good advice. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, just deciding for yourself if that's a struggle you want to um, bring on for yourself. And then, you know, communication obviously is so, so important, not only on this type of trip, but in like life in general. <laughs> so just if you do decide to go on this trip uh, on a hike with your with your partner, just making sure you communicate everything all the time. Yeah, that's just good advice in general for relationships and partnerships. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Um, do you have a preference between solo hiking or hiking with? Not necessarily your partner, but just other people in general. Oh, solo hiking, a thousand percent. <laughs> okay, so I, um, I love solo hiking because, and it's going to be really selfish, and it's going to sound really selfish, but like I love not having to worry about the speed that someone else wants to go at, the amount of breaks they want to take, you know, uh, the the trail they want to go on, the distance they want to go. Like, I I don't. I, I don't want to worry about any of that. I want to, I want to do this for myself. Like I want to go out and have the experience that I want. Cause like I said, this is very therapeutic for me. Like hiking has become just this, this like form of like outdoor therapy and having to concentrate on somebody else's needs other than my own, um, just feels counterproductive for the reason that I like to go outside. Um, so I very much prefer solo hiking also, um, just to get a little bit personal, um, I also have anxiety. And so when people come with me, I'm either anxious that I'm walking too fast and they're feeling weird, or I'm walking too slow and they're feeling like they want me to speed up. And I'm like, Oh, can I hold on? I'm going to stop and take this picture. Is that like, cool with you? No. Are you going to like break up with me? No. Okay, cool. I'm just going to, I just want to take the picture. I don't know. So I get all these weird, like like anxious thoughts or it's like, it just makes it not enjoyable anymore. <laughs> so having to not worry about that is nice. How does that work with your trampoline? Cause you go out solo, but then you meet people and you stay with them for over a thousand miles. Right. So how does that work? Is it more like they just get it? Yeah. Well, you don't always, it's not like you're hiking in this group for the you know entirety of the trail. It's like, you know, I might wake up early one morning and hike by myself most of the day, or we might decide like, Hey, this is the campsite we want to end up at, or like, Hey, let's all meet at this water source or, you know, so it's not like you're hiking with these people. Um, 100% of the time that you do have a lot of time where you still get to be alone. I want to circle back a little bit to something you had mentioned because I had, in 2016, I started the Tahoe Rim Trail, which is a, it's like a 174 mile loop. Um, and I started it with a hiking partner and he got like terrifyingly ill on the second day, like uh -oh. to the point where I was carrying some of his stuff, like trying to lighten his load as much as I could. And like, we spent what should have been like a six hour stretch took us like 17 hours and it was just literally just to get him to the highway and and get him a ride and get him into a town and and potentially even to a hospital like he was that sick wow i made the decision after he was safe and i knew everything was was going to be okay and he was going to be taken care of uh to carry on by myself and so we had the whole trip mapped out we had 
our uh, our paper map and we each had a copy of the paper map and we left copies of the same exact map with the same exact markings you know this is where we're going to camp on this day and this is where we're going to camp on this day this is where we need you to meet us for a food drop and i made the decision to carry on by myself after he after he left so i mean we'd hiked maybe 20 miles of the 174 together and i was going to go do the remaining 150 by myself and man, all of that planning went straight out the window. It was just oh, like, yeah. yeah, it was just like, oh, okay, so we can walk this many day, this many miles per day. We can get our food drops here. And I was just like, it was like free jazz. The second I was by myself, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to walk 20 miles today. I might walk two tomorrow, but today I feel like just walking sun up to sundown. And it's, there's something really freeing about solo hiking where you, you don't have to concern yourself with, okay, well, maybe am, am I going too fast for this person? Am I going too slow for this person? Do they need to stop and take a break? Do they need to stop and go to the bathroom? Um, are they carrying enough food? Like, you know, I'm a fairly experienced hiker and I spend a lot of time on the trail with less experienced hikers. And so my brain immediately goes to, I have to protect this person. Mm. And the second I'm by myself, I'm just like, I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely relate to that. A hundred percent. Yeah, I totally. So I totally, and I get the, the anxiety issue too, because I have, I, I deal with a lot of anxiety, especially around other people. Um, and there, there's something about just being. I mean, I, I get anxious when I'm alone in the woods too, because like, oh, did I take a wrong turn? Did I fuck this up? Am I getting myself lost? You know, all the weird little thoughts that go through your brain. Um, although I imagine like on something like the AT or the JMT, there's probably not a lot of that because you're just kind of walking in a straight line. You know, a lot of, I spend a lot of time in weird backcountry areas where I'm off trail and I'm just like, I literally have no idea where I am right now, even though I know exactly where I am, but my brain tells me, you're, you're lost. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, it's a different kind of anxiety though, right? Like there's the social anxiety of like, am I upsetting somebody with my actions? And then there's like, am I in a dangerous situation where I am lost in the wilderness by myself? <laughs> I mean, one is an anxiety and I might argue the other is a logistical important anxiety. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of it with me too comes down to, because I film most of my hikes for the YouTube channel and it's just like, I have a weird anxiety about that too, where it's just like, man, are people going to watch this and think I'm just a, a idiot? Like, I, I, I am, am I going to put this video out there and I'm just going to get like a hundred comments of just like, this dude has no idea what he's doing like, to his channel. Like, you know, and it's just like, but it is definitely a different, because I get, oddly maternal when I'm hiking with other people. Whereas like, I'm, I'm very concerned about their safety and I'm very concerned about their comfort. Um, even to the point where it's like, like I always let my hiking partner pick their tent site first. Every single time I'm just like, wherever you go, where you want. And then I'll squeeze in wherever there's room left. You know, <laughs> it's just like a weird um, almost like a maternal thing. Cause I, I do tend to hike with people who are, who are far less experienced than me. It's also wildly considerate. I'm over here, like claimed that one. That one's mine. <laughs> 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 um, let's talk a little bit about, 
Uh, you did mention you have some anxiety issues and 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 some things like that. So I want to dip into that a little bit because I think this is something that new hikers or people who haven't started hiking yet, I, I think this is a barrier that keeps people from getting out into the backcountry. Um, and I know for me personally, it was a big hurdle because it was just like my very first like long hike. Uh, going into it my brain just went haywire it's like you you have no idea what you're going to do you're going to be eaten by a bear something terrible you're going to drown in the rivers something awful is going to happen to you don't do this don't do this don't do this um and i and i finally just kind of forced myself through that hurdle there wasn't any big like hallelujah moment or anything it was just like fuck it i'm going um do you have any advice or or any guidance that you could give to somebody who is just starting to get into hiking or or hasn't made the leap yet that is struggling with those same kind of like self-doubt and self-questioning kind of issues yeah absolutely um so first off i would say the biggest thing is just if you're frightened because of your own capabilities or whatnot making yourself as prepared as you can be do the research know how to react in a black bear attack a grizzly attack a mountain lion attack know where you can find water sources if they're not marked on your map like know where good places to camp are or not like do the more you have in here the less you need back here and so the more research you do and the more knowledge you obtain the more confident you're going to be with yourself going out into those types of situations so that you don't have those feelings of anxiety. But if it's just that first step, that first hurdle, the way that I got over it for myself was, and this is how I react in a lot of situations where I know I'll probably feel anxious about it is I, I stop it before I even start that downward spiral. And so when I first started, like on my, before my very first solo backpacking trip, I was like, other people have done this and not died. You can do this and not die. Like, if, if other people can do this why can't I do it like there's no difference between me and that person like if they can do it I can do it can't be that hard right <laughs> um so you know I did my research and um I got all the right gear and I you know I had my map and I knew what was going on but to get myself over that first hurdle I literally just had to tell myself like there is no difference between me and them they can do it I can do it I think that's awesome advice I I wish somebody had told me that before I started hiking. I think that's fantastic I, advice. I just think it's so brave. <laughs> no. Okay. Nobody got the joke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, I was like, well, I don't want to laugh if it's not a joke. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm like being heartfelt and you're laughing. Yeah, that'd be bad. Anyways, anyways. Would, I think I think jokes tend to get lost in translation in the Zoom screen. <laughs> um, all right, so are we wrapping it up? I don't have any more questions, but you might. Uh, I think I'm good. Um, is there anything we didn't touch on that you would want to add, Jory? Yeah, um, so one of the issues that I faced, especially for doing something um, like... One of the three major um, long distance trails, either the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, something was like um, where you you have to live out in the wilderness for a long period of time and you're going to be in a tramway with other people is to make sure that because this is this is advice that I learned afterwards that I wish someone would have told me before I started was 
make sure that a you know why you're going out there and b once you've discovered that for yourself make sure that that becomes a priority of yours like don't compromise your preferences and your goals for the preferences and the goals of other people like i i wanted to go out on this hike and do this thing for myself and um, for a period of time i was letting other people's priorities dictate my choices and it got me into this position where like i wasn't really hiking the way i wanted to and i i wasn't having the experience on trail that I had, had set out to have for myself. And when you do this much preparation and this much work to not get that fulfillment, it's like, well, why am I out here then? And so I had to re-remind myself on trail, like, like I, I am my own person and I want to stay true to that on this trail. Like I want to meet new people and hear, you know, their stories and connect with all these different people from all these different backgrounds. But at the same time, I want to remember like this is the way I want to do do my hike and if that works with a tramley great if not you know I, I I have to be okay with continuing on by myself until I meet people where I, I do mesh with where our priorities do mesh a little bit better so just making sure that you know you you don't let other people overrun why you're on the trail for yourself I fucking love that yeah no that's that is fantastic advice um we wrap up every episode with what we call trips and it's our top three whatever's top three favorite pieces of gear top three whatever i was thinking since all three of us are vegan top three favorite things to eat on the trail awesome okay so i do have um a bunch of uh, staple foods that I take almost every single time I go backpacking. First off is oatmeal. And whether it's like Quaker oatmeal or like, you know, fancy healthy oatmeal with flax and chia seeds or whatever, like instant oatmeal. And then I'll always add like any sort of dried fruit to it and uh, whatever I can get my hands on. Um, and that's always every single breakfast I have is some form of instant oatmeal and dried fruit because it's delicious. Um, and then another one of my favorites um, on trail is a dinner that I like to do a lot. So I um, don't like to spend a lot of money on those like prepackaged mountain house meals because they're expensive. Um, so I like to kind of make my own. And they're also, I mean, not a lot of vegan options. There's some, but um, anyway, so I like to make my own with what I call with our um nor sides if you've ever heard of them so nor k-n-o-r-r -R is the brand name you can get it at any grocery store they're not necessarily marketed as backpacking meals but they function just the same and so my favorite meal my favorite dinner to make is the spanish rice nor side and then i add tvp which for people that don't know that's textured vegetable protein it's a dehydrated soy protein it is super lightweight and super easy to make um, so I add TVP to the Spanish rice nor side. And then um, if I have dehydrated vegetables with me, I'll add dehydrated vegetables, maybe some bouillon for some extra flavor or some hot sauce because you always have to have hot sauce. Um, <laughs> and that's like my go-to um, dinner on the trail is a north side with TVP and vegetables. And then if I feel like I want to carry the weight, I'll carry a package of tortillas and I'll throw it all on the tortilla and eat it that way. If I don't, then I'll just eat it with a spoon right out of my pot. But um, yeah, that's my all-time favorite dinner to eat on trail. Um, another one of my favorites um, is 
I, I, maybe this it doesn't really count because it's not really a meal, but like the dried mango, specifically the kind that's from Costco. Oh yeah, I know um, exactly the, what you're talking about. In the white bag with like mm-hmm. kind of the green lettering. Oh my god, it's so good, <laughs> so good, and I just want to eat so much of it all the time. Uh, <laughs> but that's definitely a necessity too, as well <laughs> when I'm when I'm out on trail. Okay, and Jim, what about you? Uh, so the number one thing I always bring are like the the fire hot jolly ranchers Mm. those are like absolutely always either in my bear bag or my bear can so that's number one um number two you already you you took my number two which was the specifically the costco mango so i'm going to alter mine so we're not repeating things um i really like and i do i make it myself it's a homemade uh soy curl jerky Mm -hmm. um so i and i do a bunch of funny like weird my favorite one right now like the one that i've been doing the most often is a uh it's a yellow curry turmeric and ginger that sounds amazing it's so good it is so good and it's like i love i i always carry a lot of it like i always have like like a half pound bag which is ridiculous when you're backpacking to have a half pound of any (laughs) food item um but I'll make like little trail tacos with it, with the little mini tortillas, or I'll throw it into um, like a heat and just heat and go like rice pack or something like that. And I'll just throw the curry jerky into that. And then my third one, and I'm going to do a plug to one of my favorite companies. We try not to do very many plugs on this show, but this one is worthy. It's uh, evergreen adventure foods. And they do a boil in bag chili mac that comes in a hundred percent home compostable pouch. And it is one of, if not the best, like pre-packaged boil and bag trail food I have ever eaten. And I've had it on probably the last like 17 trips. That's been my dinner is the evergreen adventure foods chili mac. Nice. I mean, I'm sitting on my couch and that sounds really good. That's, that's telling. Uh, okay. So my, my go-to jerky used to be, I'm not as cool as you guys making your own stuff. I lack time really, really badly. So I trend towards just go through a store and just try not to look at what hands up at the end at the register. Um, but my go-to jerky used to be um, primal strip, but Gardein recently came out with a jerky that is just painfully expensive for what you get it is not reasonable and so I bring a little (laughs) bit of that and some primal strips but oh my god it is so good the teriyaki is just magic um which leads me to my next one because I like to combine them because sweet and salty and that is apple slice jerky magic um I'm a, I just really like sweet and salty so I put them together um and I am going to double up on yours Jory um but in a different way oatmeal is like a huge go-to for me and dried fruit absolutely but I go a little bit broier with a uh, little less oat a little more protein and then I put a couple of tablespoons of powdered peanut butter in it and so when you mix it it all together it tastes like um tastes like peanut butter porridge or something it's just it's amazing that sounds incredible 
Um, I don't know if you've listened to any of the episodes of the podcast, Jory, but a recurring theme on this podcast is that Holly carries, Holly carries apples. And when she and I hiked together for the first time, her partner at the time had packed the food and the, between the two of them, and I think you were carrying the food bag, right? Yep. Just by yourself. Seven fucking apples, like actual, not dried, not just like seven actual fucking apples. <laughs> One fucking night. <laughs> oh my God. Can you, imagine, can you imagine opening your, your like resupply pack of somebody else had packed it for you? You're like, oh, a- apples, that's... No. <laughs> I was so mad. I was so mad. That took so long. We like didn't stop fighting about that. We broke up still fighting about that. Um, <laughs> it, but I have to tell a quick story, even though this is the end and I know we're wrapping up. Um, my sister-in-law recently, uh, last year, um, God, I can't tell if it was 2019 or 2020 anymore. They just blend together in it, my brain. It's all one year at this point. <laughs> she went on her first uh, backpacking trip one night and uh, we had this amazing moment where um, I, I have always, my whole family has always carried more heavy food than is traditional. Um, this is like a theme. But my uh, my dad was making, I think it was like a couscous blend with like some dried mushrooms and like some cut up sausages or something. One night, you know, whatever, they carry sausages. And my dad goes, ooh, you know, this would make an amazing thing if we had a zucchini. Just joking, right? Because there's no chance that we have a zucchini. And uh, my sister-in-law goes, I have a zucchini. <laughs> <laughs> and so my dad goes, oh, geez, like, if we had some onion, that would be amazing, too. And she's like, I have an onion, too. <laughs> and we're like, what is happening <laughs> And she had them in this big plastic bin that was like a silicone push-out bin oh on the top of her back. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you're wonderful. I'm going to eat the shit out of the zucchini. And holy shit, am I going to help you pack next time? <laughs> I, I'm notorious for carrying too much food. Like, I will carry, I will carry, and, and this is embarrassing, on that, the 77-mile hike I mentioned earlier my just the contents of my bear can not not the bear can itself which is you know two and a half pounds just the contents was 12 pounds for for three days and two nights and i have never i have never carried a zucchini and an onion (laughs) (laughs) that should taste good though bet that's amazing the ultralight snob in me is like oh my god <laughs> but the vegan in me is like oh my god I <laughs> no it was just this fucking amazing moment because we all thought we were already being indulgent carrying a pack of sausages right and then she's like zucchini onion and we were like okay this is truly amazing no it all worked out um that's hilarious all right So we've been putting all of our contact info in the uh, show notes so that people don't have to frenzy write stuff down. Um, Does that work for you? Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Yeah, I would actually like to, I mean, I'll put it in the show notes too, but go ahead and plug like any social media you want people to follow. I know you have an Instagram. I know you have a blog that doesn't seem like it's very well maintained. It's been out for a little while. (laughs) Jory is uh, looking around. 
some research to find questions to ask. And I'm like, oh, cool. She has a blog that is like seven years old. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Plug. Um, okay, yeah. You want to plug and I'll put all of it in the show notes as well. So my, definitely my most active form of social media is Instagram. I'm Instagram at the outdoor vegan. I update that regularly, posts and stories, all that jazz. Please, please, please feel free to message me with any questions. I absolutely love talking about hiking as a woman, solo, through hiking, veganism, literally anything. I'm an open book. Please message me. Um, I also have a website, which is just um, outdoorvegan.com which I do not update ever. So maybe <laughs> don't go there. Uh, one day I hope to update it, but I, it's a long shot. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that as your first form of contact. <laughs> Fantastic. And one last thing. I know you already mentioned you have a permit for the PCT. Uh, what's next after that? After the PCT? I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> good answer, good I do not think that far ahead. <laughs> fantastic i was kind of anticipating that was going to be the answer but i thought i would uh roll the dice on that question anyway so well this was great thank you so much for being our first guest thank you so much for having me it's been so much fun oh my god so much fun thank you so much for making the space of course it's been so wonderful to talk to you guys all right and that i think brings an end to uh episode five (laughs) 